All right, get your Bibles open to uh, Mark chapter 9. I really feel like today's message, we're talking about peaks and valleys, but I feel like the timing just providentially of the Holy Spirit in the season that we're in is very, very important. Because as you start in Mark's gospel, the, the uh, second verse, uh, they're on a mountaintop encounter with the Lord. I would call this revival, all right? It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. Luke adds uh, to be alone to pray. So they're getting away with Jesus. I want you to notice, too, Jesus is moving. His ministry is shifting from the crowds, and he's being very intentional about discipling individuals, all right? He's pouring into the disciples. Can I just tell you, this is why we do our discipleship groups. It's why discipleship is so important. This meeting is nice, but this meeting is not the most strategic meeting that we have at Livingstone. The most strategic meeting we have is helping people grow and helping people multiply in their leadership gifting. Because how many of you know you can only, you can only sustain a move of God to the degree that you actually have infrastructure, meaning people who are trained to know how to move in the Holy Spirit? Are you with me? So Jesus is going from the crowds, and he's focusing in on the few. In this particular case, it's just Peter, James, and John. They're going up to pray to be alone uh, and to have some downtime and to be in the presence of the Lord. And it says, as the men watched Jesus, or as, as the men watched, rather, Jesus' appearance was transformed. His clothes became dazzling white, far greater than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And then, check that out, if that wasn't enough shock and awe, Moses and Elijah appear and began talking to Jesus. Now, that word transformed is an amazing word. It's, of course, the word metamorphosis. It's the, it's the transition from a, a butterfly, I'm sorry, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. How many of you have been born again? You've experienced metamorphosis in this room. I see, I see a lot of beautiful butterflies out here this morning. Um, but I want you to see what's amazing here. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in Christ Jesus lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Think about this for a minute. The miracle of the moment was not that Jesus' divinity, his glory was busting out of his body. The miracle is how Jesus was able to contain the fullness of God in a human body for most of his life. I mean, this was an unusual experience. Jesus didn't walk around like this. The miracle was how does the fullness of God stay in Jesus' body without being revealed and letting the secret out, so to speak? But can we just pause right here? If this is not revival moments, I don't know what is. You're on a mountain with Jesus. The glory of the Lord is busting out. The, the Bible says, and I believe it's in Luke's gospel, that Jesus' face was shining like the sun at noontime. So you're, there's this radiant white glory coming out of Christ's body through his clothes. In fact, it says his clothes are, are whiter than the, the most bleached white you can possibly get. There's no, there's, in other words, we have no English words or English experience or common experience to you know, compare it to. It's, it's so stunning. It's so amazing. It's so glorious. And then on top of it, this is like the heroes are all showing up. Elijah's there. Moses is there. This is incredible. And it says six days later, that, those are important words because I believe it's an allusion to Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, where Moses, the Bible says, for six days was on Mount Sinai enveloped in a cloud of Shekinah glory. Would anybody like to experience that sometime? Six days in a, in a glory bomb of the Holy Spirit, all right, wrapped in the glory of God. 
And it says, on the seventh day, out of the cloud, God spoke. You all know what happened when Moses came down from the mountain. He had to cover his face because the radiance of the glory of God was so intense that people could not look into the face of Moses. So this is a, 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 an act two on a mountain with Jesus, who, who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the glory of God, God speaking. I mean, this is revival moment. Are you guys hearing me? And can I just share this with you? Every one of us should be longing for a greater personal encounter and personal experience with Jesus. Let me tell you why experience is so important. It was later in Peter's life. In fact, Jesus told the guys, he goes, don't tell anybody about this until after I'm, I'm crucified and raised from the dead. And then you can talk about it. So later in Peter's life, in fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter shares this account and how it impacted him. And I want us to learn something from here because I, I believe God wants us to speak into a revival mood, to pastor a revival mood, uh, and to make sure we're all on the same page. I mean, you know, unity is critical as we're moving forward in the things of God. So take a look with me here. This is not on the, on the PowerPoint. This is fresh, all right? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Listen to what he says. He says, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. In other words, Peter says, I was there. I saw his majestic splendor. I heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter says, I remember the impact it had on my life. And later, as you read on down in that passage, it says, Peter says, because of that experience, everybody say experience. experience. Say that again, experience. experience. We have even greater confidence. Everybody say confidence. confidence. In the message. Everybody say message. I want you to see something here. Sometimes people that come from Bible-believing churches are real kind of poo-poo on experiences. They're almost like that's shady. Um, and then you got people that are from Holy Ghost churches that are all about experiences, but they're weak sometimes with the message. I want you all to know we're not trying to swing to either extreme. Our core value at Living Stones is we are a word and spirit church. A word and spirit church. But I want you to see something powerful. The reason revivals are so important is because every follower of Christ needs to have a fresh, living, powerful experience, personal experience with Jesus. Because what Peter said is the experience led to greater confidence, which is another word for faith, in the message in other words, we're on assignment together, which means the experience is not the whole enchilada. All right, for all of our Hispanic friends out there, I'm trying to cross some heart language here, all right? And I love enchiladas, so that was a compliment, all right? But hear what I'm saying. So, so an experience with God builds faith in your heart, which causes you to believe the message, which makes you a better missionary. In other words, you're on mission with Jesus. Now, let me tell you how this works. You, some of you come from uh, churches where we're like, well, I read in the Bible where it says, you know, Psalm 103, the Lord uh, heals all my diseases, you know? So it says that God's a healer, but in our denomination, we don't believe in that. Um, and then, therefore, how do you have faith if you're sick and you're like, I'm dying, I need a touch from God? I, I, I guarantee you, you're going to test your theology and you're going to hope Jesus is a healer. Because right. it's easy to pontificate and have your doctrinal positions when it doesn't matter. But if you're 
have someone dying in your family that needs a miracle, all of a sudden that doctrine's kind of important. So wouldn't it be better if you actually had experienced personally a healing touch from Jesus? Because if you've been healed, no one can talk you out of it. Like once Jesus heals you, no one's going to come along and say, well, you know, that's not really biblical. Oh, seriously, <laughs> I feel great. It's gone. Like I had people tell me one time, well, you know, that baptism of the Holy Spirit stuff and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I don't know what, I don't really think that's for today. I said, seriously, it's too late. You got to me too late. I've already experienced it. You can't talk me out of it. I've experienced the presence of God, the power of God, the healing of God. I've watched demons leave in Jesus' name. I believe all this stuff because I've experienced it. But check this out. So the reason God brings us in seasons of fresh encounter, let's just call it revival. The reason he brings us into revival is so we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Because I, can't live, I cannot live off somebody else's experience. I got I to gotta live off my experience with God. And that's why revivals are so powerful. People who have never experienced God are getting rocked. They're getting touched. They're on their face. They're crying. They're repenting. They're laughing. They're getting healed. It's amazing. And, and we should always be people who live for the presence of God. But I was going to call this message, Dumb Things People Say During Revivals. Because <laughs> I want to bring some pastoral balance. I heard people say, well, you know, if you want revival, you just need to shut everything down and shut all those programs down. Oh, you mean like the encounter we just had? You mean like the marriage class I just sat in last week where everybody's talking about how rocked they're getting? Oh, you mean like the worship night we're having that where people are going, 45 people are going to be bad? We're just going to just shut it all down. It sounds so spiritual. It's stupid. Yeah. It's stupid. You mean the two discipleship groups I just led this last week where man after man talked about the healing and restoration and transformation that's happening? You mean all those programs? No, no, no. Programs are not of the devil. And shutting your whole church down because somehow that's going to create an encounter is silliness. How about we live in encounter? How about we, how about, listen, how about we, we use our encounter to build our faith so they were more daring and on mission than ever before. You know, I heard people criticizing the, the folks at Asbury College. They're quenching the Holy Spirit. No, they're not. First of all, did the Holy Spirit have a private meeting with you and fill you in on all the details? Like, shut up. No, they're not. Why was Asbury founded? To raise up godly men and women, women who would fulfill the divine call of God on their life to bring reformation to the world. They weren't quenching the Holy Spirit. They're getting back on mission. Only now, they've had a fresh encounter. What's going to happen in those classrooms? People are going to care about the Bible that they're studying. People are going to care about the world that they're preparing for. In other words, if you said to me, Pastor Ron, when revival shows up, man, everything's shutting down living stones, I would say, not ever will there be momentary times when we freshly encounter the presence of Jesus. Absolutely. But we're on mission. We don't give up the mission. The end all isn't staying on the mountain. In fact, let me just tell you what happened. Let's, let, let me tell you the gory details about what happened, all right? 
Listen to what Peter says. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He he comes through again. (laughs) Verse 5. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it is wonderful for us to be here. How many of you ever said that in the presence of the Lord? This is amazing. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, he said, let's put up some tents and camp out. Let's put up tents and camp out because it's so awesome. Can I just tell you that's a normal response to any move of God. Let's just stay here forever. Can't fault anybody for that. But Jesus had a little bit different plan. Look at what happened next. This life-changing, supernatural encounter with Jesus, which we said was important and necessary, uh, gives us the goosebumps, the chills, the sound and sight experience, all the heroes, everybody's there. And, and it's interesting because in Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus had him go up the mountain to be alone and to pray. And as usual, all the disciples were sound asleep. So how many of you know they're not asleep anymore? One of the things that revival does is it wakes us up spiritually. If you were slumbering, guess what? Now you're alive. If you were dead in your heart, now you have passion in your heart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So they're, they're fully alive now, man. They're like, wow, this is amazing. But look what happened. A cloud of the Shekinah glory, God's pre- manifest presence, overshadows them. And a voice from the cloud said this, God speaking. This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. After God says, listen to him, I want you to see what happens. Suddenly... When they looked around, Moses, gone. Elijah, gone. The glory cloud, gone. All they saw was Jesus. You talk about a dramatic focal point, and God says this, listen to him. Listen to what? Listen to everything he has to say about everything. In other words, it's not a narrow, li- listen to Jesus because he defines reality. Now, I want you to see this, folks, because listen, there's not a one of us in this room that would not camp out on a mountaintop encounter with God. Am I speaking to the record? Like, you'd have to be, you'd have to be foolish. But I want to show you the stark contrast about what happens in verse 2 and then what happens in the very next segment, like same day. You talk about a downer. You talk about going from the mountaintop to the valley to real life. How's this for a rude awakening? All right. Verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. Some of the teachers of the religious law, the Pharisees, scribes, what are they doing? They're arguing. They're nitpicking. They're judging just like they always do. It's a total mess. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe. They ran to greet Jesus. Jesus says, what's all the arguing about? And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit, I want, I want you guys to see here the violent hatred that the devil and his kingdom has for people made in the image and likeness of God. It's a real kingdom. It's real warfare. I want you to look at these words here. This is, Jesus walks from the glory of revival, let's just call it that, into the shock and awe of real life. Look at what happens next. Says this demon that won't let him talk seizes him, grabs him, throws him violently on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. 
So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now let me ask you, ask you a question. Were the disciples prepared to cast out the evil spirit? Mark chapter 6, we already covered that. Jesus sent them out two by two. And listen, he gave them authority. Jesus is expecting that while he's up on the mountain with the three, the rest of the disciples are continuing with the mission. And so I want you to look at Jesus' words because obviously they said, I brought my son, your guys couldn't do nothing. What's Jesus' response? Oh, guys, I know, give them a break, they're still learning. Hey, guys, good try. Come on, come, come here, come here. No, I want you to see maybe a different side of Jesus. Uh, and it's, it's a wake-up call to us. Look, look at what he says. In fact, this is in um, verse 18. I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit. They couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How, how long must I put up with you? That doesn't sound like Jesus. Jesus is concerned that we have a... a uh, Divorce here between ministry, what should be happening, and the power that should be exhibited in his people and their inability, their impotence to produce an outcome. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, I'm cutting you guys some slack. I know you're new at this. He says, you faithless people, how long, how long do I have to bear with you? Can I just tell you something? The mission, which is central, the mission is to set people free. The mission is to heal the sick. The mission is to preach the gospel. The mission is to transform the nation. Now, can, I just gotta, I just gotta have a little side step right here. I saw people post things like, "Well, if you would stop being political and just sit in the presence of Jesus, you could have revival." Let me ask you a question: Does the Holy Ghost is He welcome, or, or do we need Him? Let me ask you: Do we need the Holy Ghost in the halls of Congress in America today? then why would we say something stupid like that? Why are, we ha why are you having this marketplace thing? Do you think maybe the Holy Spirit would like to bring awakening in the marketplace? Like, let's stop narrowing Jesus to a tiny specific place in, in holy places like chapels and prayer closets when the whole planet belongs to Jesus. And the whole world needs the Holy Spirit. So quit saying stuff like that because it's silly. Or I, hear, I, hear, I read people who make stupid comments like this. People who are not part of a local church, they're not submitted to a local church, and they have no love for the local church. They're critics of the local church, and they're telling the local church why we don't experience revival. Stop it! How can, how can you, when, when the, oh, the Holy Ghost, the glory of God said, listen to Jesus, and we're talking about Christ's girl. Do you think Jesus hates the church? Then why do you criticize the church when you're not even submitted to a local church? And why do we listen to these people on Facebook? I'm telling you, it irritates the daylights out of me. Because it's immature and it's, it's not the wisdom of God. We, let me say this. We're going for the planet. We're going for every dimension of the planet. Why? Why? Because the Great Commission said to take it to all the world, into every sphere. So why in the world will we be super spiritual and saying we're supposed to shut everything down and sit in church and sing songs and get on our faces and repent, that somehow that's the magic bullet? 
How about you love Jesus with all your heart now, like today? What's stopping you today? How about you spend time with Jesus today? How about you worship Jesus throughout the week? How about you embrace the mission and go see what the Holy Spirit wants to do through your life this week? Are you you hearing me? Because they came from the mountain down to a demonized boy who was being thrown in the fire. And, And listen, Jesus expected the church to deal with it. And they couldn't. So I want to give you five ingredients for spiritual ineptitude. All right, that's a great little word there. They all start, they all start with eyes, all right? Right from this passage. Let me ask you this question. Why, why were the disciples impotent? I believe it's because they got unplugged. How many times did Jesus model for them ministry and then take them away to pray? And then model for ministry and take them away to pray? And I don't know, I just got to guess that when Jesus was gone, maybe they weren't doing so much spending time in prayer with the Father. But the point was they were impotent. And I want you to see what happens in verse 20 real quickly. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Jesus wasn't focused on the demonic manifestation. In fact, he ignored it. How long has this been happening? Jesus is having a conversation with the boy's father. Since he was a little boy, somewhere a door had been opened and this demonic uh, spirit had been tormenting this child since he was a boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us. And listen to what the father says. Help us if you can. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And I love the Father's heart here. Can I just say, Jesus wasn't mad at the Father. He, he, he challenged the Father's thinking, but look at what the Father says. And can't you relate to this? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. How many of you know there's mixture in all of our hearts? And the Lord does not condemn our struggle. In fact, I think he validates the fact that this guy was honest. I want to believe, but help my unbelief. And I want you to see something. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Time out. When Jesus saw that the spirit was attracting attention, he acted immediately. His goal was not to get a big crowd to watch him perform deliverance on the boy. His goal was to protect the child's dignity and to get the devil gone before a massive crowd showed up and all of a sudden we got a demonic circus going on. Look what happens in verse 25. Uh, He says to the spirit, listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And then the spirit screamed. Can you imagine this this scene? The spirit screamed, threw the boy into another violent convulsion, and then left him, and the boy appeared to be dead. Complete peace, no movement. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus said, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. And certain translations say, and fasting. But how many of you know that's our connection with the Father? 
We cannot move in the power of God, the presence of God, unless we stay connected. And I wonder how many of us have ever experienced, like Samson, when all of a sudden he was shocked, he started to move in his calling and realized that the Holy Spirit had left him and he wasn't even aware that the Holy Spirit had left. Revival is a great time to repent and get our hearts reconnected with the Lord. Why? So that that experience can build our faith. Why? So that we have confidence in the message and the messenger and the mission. That's the purpose of revival. Look at the second point. The reason for their ineptitude. They were ignorant. Anybody been there? Don't raise your hand. I've been ignorant before. It says in verse 30, leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and to teach them. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. Look what he says. He says this three times. He will be killed. Three days later, he will rise from the dead. And verse 32, they still didn't understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Here's where the ignorance comes in. I want to encourage us in times where there's lots of stuff going on and lots of Holy Ghost fire, can we make sure that we're not ignorant to the main message? This is the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. He shed his blood, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was buried. He rose three days later from the grave, and his resurrection brought justification from our sins, no condemnation in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. We are born again, and we're brought in a right relationship with God, and we're going to enjoy him forever. That is the message. That's the gospel. Death, resurrection. Say that with me. Death, resurrection. What do you preach to people? Christ's death? Christ's resurrection, that separates him from every other person who's ever lived. And that's the message. But he had to keep going back. Let me ask you a little side question here. Why could they still not get it? Because the Holy Spirit had not been sent. Do you know that at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was sent and filled them and baptized them, they had the biggest aha moment in their lives? How many of you know we need the Holy Spirit to teach us the Word of God and the heart of God? All right? Look at the next one. They were inflated. Of course, with pride. Look at verse 33. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, guys, what were you guys talking about out there on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. <laughs> Let me just tell you, our, our pro when we have a God encounter, let me just tell you what I've seen happens. Like, isn't it amazing the first time you pray for somebody and you see them healed? Yeah. Or the first time you lead someone to Christ and they pray and you see the metamorphosis take place. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. But you know what we have the propensity to do? <laughs> I'm the demon slayer. I'm the, I know God's called me to an international healing ministry. What? Just a moment ago, Jesus was saying, what's the matter with you guys? And now they're having a fight along the way. Who's the greatest? This is silliness. If you want to screw up a revival, just think it's about you. If you want to mess up a move of God, just pretend like when you're praying for people, it's because you're so special. You're the anointed one. I, 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 the reason I can make fun of this 
is I know it quite well. It's a temptation every believer has to deal with. Pride. Or how about this? You know, wherever I went and experienced whatever I experienced, that's not at my local church. So I have a lower view of all the people I worship with every week. Because of that, they don't get it. That doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit either. That sounds a little bit like, a little bit like inflation. The Holy Spirit produces humility in us. And we lose ourselves in him. We don't get fixated on ourselves. Or we don't have insecurity issues with our identity. Or we don't think we're something that we're not. You know, if, you're, if you glow in the dark, but, but you're running around putting the rest of the body of Christ down, I don't care how, how much you glow. Don't blame the Holy Spirit for that. Because it's not the Holy Spirit. So here they are, only moments after this incredible encounter on the mountaintop, and they're having a discussion about who's, who's the greatest. This would be funny if it wasn't so sad. And Jesus says, you know what, if, if you're really anointed and moving in revival, you're going to be the biggest servant on planet Earth. And it's not going to be about you. It's going to be about the bigger picture of what God's doing. And you're just going to be happy as a lark, just serving and blessing and loving wherever you can get involved. Let me go on to the next one. They were intolerant. Another good old I word. Jesus said to, or John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw some people using your name to cast out demons, but they weren't from living stones. So we told them, stop it. Because you're not part of our group. You guys don't go to our church. Because here's what we think. God couldn't possibly doing anything amazing outside of our church. You know, where did Asbury take place? I'm going to have a little fun with you. I mean, wh- wh- where did the uh, Asbury outpouring take place? Asbury College. Did anybody know the word Asbury? Like, what denomination is that associated with? Methodists. And who's the leaders of the Meth- Methodism? The Wesley brothers, right? John Wesley. I mean, but how many have kind of noticed that the, the fiery holiness roots of Methodism have kind of got, gone off rail? Yes. And there's large portions of Methodism that's gone completely away from the true gospel and embraced all kinds of perversion. So we, we couldn't believe that God would want to show up at a Methodist school, a, a woke denomination that's compromised the word, not like us. We, we stand on the word, but they've compromised the word. God forbid that God, that, that revival must not be the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. How many of you know wherever the Holy Spirit's moving, you want to be fanning the flames. And you want to be saying, God, get them, and then come get us, and then get our neighbors. Hey, hey you know where the, the, the Holy Spirit outpouring in the 70s, that, that, by the way, is at the movie theater now, the, the, which I encourage all of you to go see, some great stuff going on. Do you know that much of the movement of the Holy Spirit and the recovery of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit was in the Catholic Church? Do you mean God's actually big enough to save Catholic people and to baptize them in the Holy Spirit? Catholic people? The Holy Spirit can save whoever he wants. And listen to me. I, I'm, not making, I'm not minimizing 
doctrine. I mean, there's this thing called the Reformation that kind of split all of Christendom in half, and it's a big deal, and the doctrines we, we discuss and argue about and people have died over are important. But can, can we just say this? Wherever the Holy Spirit's moving, even if it's not part of our tribe, we don't have to be a critic. We don't have to. In fact, if you want to just quench the Holy Spirit's movement in your life, just criticize what he's doing somewhere else. Like we think, like, well, they have to. My mom and dad were raised in a denomination. This is how, this is how sectarian. My dad wondered if I lead someone to the Lord on vacation in Alabama, which is where we would go, how do I get them to come back with me to my church so they can be baptized and be truly saved? Because the Lord knows we're the only ones that have it right. Now listen, folks, doctrine's important. Essential doctrine is essential. Non-essential doctrine, it's stupid to suggest that the Holy Spirit's going, nah, um, no, nope, they got that point wrong. I'm not going to bless those folks. How many know he's constantly leading us into truth? And people who have fresh encounters with him are better able to understand the truth. So can we just be these kind of people? Wherever the Holy Spirit's moving, be hungry to experience more. That's why, listen, I never, I never am critical of people if they hear, God's moving in a crazy way over at this church or that church. What? I want to go. Go. Hallelujah. Go. Always be hungry for the Holy Spirit. But don't ever be like, they're not our group. They shouldn't be able to use Jesus' name and do this stuff because we're not approving of them. That, that, that's, that's stuff that kills the Holy Spirit's movement. Let me end with this. They were indulgent, carnal, fleshy. How many of you find that it's easy to be very judgmental of other people and we notice other people making mistakes, but we're full of grace and mercy for ourselves? Anybody besides me do that? How many know we make all kinds of excuses for our own weakness? but we kill other people for their weaknesses. Now, I want you to see something here that's completely non-popular in the church in America today, but it's in the Bible again. Who's speaking in verse 43? Jesus is speaking. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, how many know Jesus is speaking here with hyperbole? In other words, I don't want anybody coming to church, you know, hey, what happened, Pastor Dick? That word last week was so good. You know, I, uh, and your God, look at what it says next. It's better to enter eternal life with one hand than going to the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Now, who's teaching us here about hell? When they were in revival mode on top of the mountain, what was the voice of God out of the cloud of glory? What did it say? Listen to Listen to him. Him is talking. We went from glory to the unquenchable fires of hell in the same paragraph. How many of you know if you've been raised in a church where it's unfashionable to talk about hell or eternal damnation, it's a church that's not embracing listen to him. Because Jesus is talking here. Look at what it says next. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with one foot, hop your way in, than be thrown into hell with two feet. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. This is graphic language, isn't it? Gouge it out. 
It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Who's talking here again? Listen to him. Can I just share something? Every true move of the Holy Spirit is a holiness movement. What good does it do to be zapped 43 times at an altar and then go home and continue in your porn addiction? I would like to suggest that if the encounter was real, it leads to transformation. And Jesus said it's so important. You're not going to slide into eternity based on an experience if the experience is not backed up with a lifestyle that mirrors Jesus. Now listen, I just got to share this. Some of you in this room shared at marriage class a few weeks back. Very, very instructive. It was so good. Great testimony. You came here and you were living in sin. Okay? You weren't married. You were sleeping together. You're living on the same roof. Whatever. There might be some of you here this morning. I'm glad that you're here. You're hearing the gospel. The gospel can change your life. But how many of you know that's not God's order? So I had people come up to me and say, well, pastor, we want to go on a missions trip. I said, uh, no, you can't go on a mission trip. Well, why can't we go on a mission trip? We want to help people. Because your home is out of order. Yes. And because we're not going to export fornication to the nations. Yes. It's, not, it's not part of the kingdom of God. Amen. Um, pastor, we want to become members at Living Stones. You can't. Why can't I? What's the matter with us? You're living in sin. And the purpose of the church is to reflect what heaven looks like among the people of God who call themselves members of Christ's body. So don't say you're a member of Christ's body, but you're living a lifestyle that contradicts what Jesus says. Now listen, to the credit of everybody in that category, and you know who I am and I'm talking about, they could have been offended. Instead, they stuck around. And instead of being offended, they repented. And last time I checked, they were members, and they went on mission trips. So, so sometimes you have to be offended before you get free. But if it's still all about you, you won't stick along long enough to get transformed because you got offended. Not by me. I'm just repeating what he says. That's why I can, listen, I'm not trying to be cute. That's why any pastor who's worth his salt will not be afraid of offending you over the words of Jesus. Because why, why would I be more worried about offending you than offending Jesus by not saying what he says. I'm more concerned with your feelings than I am with what he says. So how do, I, how, how, do we move, how do we move in revival when we're hopping on one leg, we got one eye gone, we cut off our hand, if we have any hands or legs or eyes left? <laughs> the purpose of an encounter with Jesus is to be made like Jesus. 
and to have our hearts inflamed with love for Jesus so that we can join Jesus on the mission of Jesus, which is the discipling of the nations. That's why I love revival, because the Lord knows we need a health checkup every now and then, and we need a fresh encounter, and we need a fresh move, and my heart that can grow distant from God needs to be awakened on a regular basis. Come on, are you hearing what I'm talking about? But I don't want to live in a situation of where we all need to be resurrected every day. Does that make sense? Like, let's get resurrected and then do something with resurrection power. Because listen, Jesus is expecting it. He's expecting it. He's like, what's the matter with you guys? I sent you out. I taught you. I commissioned you. What's the deal? Like, he was upset. If Jesus would show up today to Living Stones, and he said, Jesus, please share your heart with us. What would he say? Anybody want to stick around for that message? (laughs) You know what? I think it would be a mixture of exhortation and challenge and maybe a call to repent, maybe a call to press in. But I know it would be this. His arms would be wide open, and he'd be saying, you want more? Come, 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 come. So listen, that last part came at the heels of the greatest revival Peter and James and John were ever ever experienced. And Jesus ruined the whole moment by talking about hell. (laughs) Can you see why balance is important? I'm saying, you know, here's what I say. I love what God's doing among us. On the one hand, I'm not satisfied. On the other hand, I'm rejoicing and soaking up every moment. Ah, this is awesome. I'm enjo- I am so enjoying the moment, looking out at all of your beautiful faces, looking at what God is doing everywhere. And I just say, Lord, it's, please don't let us get inflated. Please don't let us be ignorant. Please don't let us think we're, we're the only people. We're, we're the isolated group that's got, you know, no, 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 no. Let's keep loving. Let's keep serving. Let's keep giving. Let's keep helping other people. Let's stay on mission. And then let's be hungry for more of the presence of God. But can you hear me? Let's please not slam the brakes on anything that God's doing thinking that somehow that creates more of what we want. Let's just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Let's just keep loving people. You know, Celebrate Recovery gathers together on Thursday night. Guess what? People are getting healed. Praise the Lord. We're not going to shut it down on Thursday night. Hey, praise the Lord. Chris and the intercessors, they're praying every week. Every day there's a group praying for all of us here. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. You want some fire on your heart? Come on out Thursday. Let's just go crazy after the Holy Spirit, pursuing Jesus in this place on Friday night as we worship the Lord together. Watch people get baptized. Give them a big hug. In fact, go lead some people to the Lord this week, and let's add to the chaos on Friday night. Uh, Maybe we could double the amount by Friday. Who knows what God can do? Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you guys this morning. And let me say this. How do you move in the Holy Spirit if God is, is tweaking something in your heart right now, which is what the Word and the Spirit should do, we have people up here, all of our team, waiting for you to pray for you, to love you, to minister to you, to agree with you. Um, if you don't know Christ, if you need freedom, some, if you just need to repent, you're like, I, need, I just want to be all in. I want to surrender all to Jesus. I want to be all in. 
Don't leave the building when the Holy Spirit's nudging you. Come forward. Just agree with somebody. Submit yourself. Humble yourself. Father, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, we love you and we honor you. Help us to stay in a posture that attracts you. We want to be attractive to you. We want you to love the beauty of holiness and humility and hunger in this place. So, Lord, come. And just pray that in your heart. Will you just join me? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord, in power. Come in glory. Lord, raise the water level of your presence in our midst. Give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Love you guys like crazy. If you need prayer, come on down.